From the historic Cosmic Potato Studios, welcome to That Star Trek Podcast. This is your place for detailed analysis and speculation of all things Trek. Now, on with the show. Hello, Moon fans. Wrong show. <laughs> Hi, Bob. Trek fans. I don't know. Are we it's, are we it, Trekkies? It, are we Trekkers? What I feel we? that that's always the right introduction. <laughs> no matter the pod. <laughs> All right, welcome back to another episode of that Star Trek podcast, your one-stop pod for reviews, discussion, examination, and speculation of all things Trek. I'm your guest host, Nick Yeager. And with me tonight are Rick. Your mama's so fat, she outweighs the needs of the many. <laughs> All right. <laughs> okay. And Sean. Talk about my mama like that. <laughs> <laughs> and we've got Chris. I abstain from all your mamas. <laughs> <laughs> and we've got our regular host, Scott. I used to like Star Trek. I still do, but I used to, too. Mm, There you go. Perfect segue into our topic for tonight. So the topic is our changing views of Trek over the decades. I was going to say over the years, but no, we old. We old. We've been there. Some (laughs) of us have been there since the very beginning. And that's me. (laughs) One of us. (laughs) Um, but Chris, you, you've said that you've been watching TNG for the first time, like a proper watch through just recently, right? Yes. But you were familiar with the original series already? Oh yeah. No, I grew up on the original series reruns every night, watching it over and over and over reading all the novels, the whole thing. Yeah. Okay. Because basically the topic is how have our perceptions of Trek changed over the years? And you know, a larger question could be how have our perceptions of any media franchise changed over the years, but tonight we'll stick to Trek. (laughs) And what inspired this topic for me was my, I would say my second watch of Enterprise. And then even more so my third watch of Enterprise. So like TNG, for instance, I've watched so many times that I can't even tell you how many times I've watched it. And I watched it several times as a kid, several times as a teenager, on and on and on. You know, same for DS9 and Voyager. Um, whereas Enterprise, I I watched it live when it first aired. And I had a certain perception of it. And then, huh, so, okay, when did Enterprise first air? Was it like the early 2000s? It was two, 2000. 2000, I think. Yeah, I, I think it's either 99 or 2000 because okay. their third season was greatly influenced by 9 11. 
Right. Yes. Yeah. So I would have been in my mid twenties then. And then I rewatched it for the second time, uh, basically forcing my boyfriend to watch it. And that would have been. <sighs> it was 2001 to 2005. Okay. Were, were the years. Okay. Yeah. That's no, that sounds right. Yeah. So my second watch through was, I feel like maybe a decade ago, eight years ago, something like that. And then my third watch through introducing it to another friend. I always force people to watch Star Trek. You know that. <laughs> um, Sit out and watch. <laughs> that would have been, I guess, like last year. Um, and so my my perception of this series was so different each time I watched it. So I had to assume the rest of you have always also had a similar experience where your perception of these series, not just Enterprise, all the series, has changed over the years because of who you are, who, the ways you change as you get older, but also, I guess, our perceptions of how, I mean, one question could be, you know, do these old shows hold up? How do they compare to the new shows? And do you think that, you know, the way you mature as a person or the things that are happening in your life, you know, how do those things affect your perception? So sticking, let's stick with, should we go in order? Should we go with the original series first? Sure. So, Rick, since you're the oldie Mick Olderson among us. <laughs> <laughs> I used to you put an onion on the warp core because that was the style <laughs> back then. <laughs> so you first watched Toss when you were a wee lad? I was, yeah. Uh, I honestly don't know when. I first saw my first episode, uh, you know, it's just Star Trek was always there from, from as early as I can remember. I know that I saw, well, okay. I did some figuring and I think that I saw the summer rerun of uh, um, the empath. Cause I remember we were, we had taken a, a vacation to Florida. I was five years old. Uh, and I remember watching it on the TV in a hotel room in St. Petersburg, which is where I work now. <laughs> um, so, and I know it was the empath. So I did some digging and it looks like it would have been the summer rerun of that. Uh, so that's the closest I ever came to seeing TOS in real time. Okay. But and it was how all old like, like with, hmm? how old was I? I was five yeah. at that time. Okay, so you were really young when you got your first impression. And then I guess as you, when you watched the rest of it, were you a child or a teenager? Well, in 1987, when TNG premiered, I was, it was 87, right? 86 or 87? Mm -hmm. 87. 87, yeah. Uh, 87. So I was 20 and 84, so I was 23 uh, when it came out. And boy, was, an, uh, was I opinionated at the time. Not mm -hmm. that that not that that's a shock, and not that that's any different now, <laughs> but um, I was very much one of the, you know, if it's not Kirk and McCoy, I want nothing to do with it. This is a travesty. How dare they, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and then, but I I watched Encounter at Farpoint the night it aired, and I felt vindicated because <laughs> it was awful. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then I didn't watch seasons one or two. Uh, I don't think I think I may have caught a, a you know a bit of an episode here or there. Uh, and it, somehow I started watching in season three, 
and then I got hooked. Uh, and and you know, I've and I have since gone back and watched seasons one and two. They're still not good, but they're not as bad as I as as I think. All right, all right. Them. But I'm I'm that, but, but that's part, that's part of my progression. Is <laughs> but, <laughs> but then has your did your perception of TNG then affect your perception of TOS? Oh, of TOS. Okay, right. Sorry, I drifted. Um, no, not really. Uh, I think. I don't think it's, well, I won't say it's not possible, but my perceptions of TOS, because they were, you know, they were so formative. Uh, You know, a lot of my sense of duty and honor and, you know, a lot of the good stuff uh, that at least as as I perceive it in my, in my personality came from Star Trek. Uh, Because, you know, I've, you did, my, my folks broke up when I was two, and blah, there were a lot of a lot of shit happened in my childhood. And I Star Trek was my refuge, and TOS was my was my refuge, was my place to hide. Um, I had all of the James Blish novelizations of the episodes. Uh, I watched TAS in real time. That was the first Star Trek I saw in real time as it aired. Uh, I think. Once I reached a certain age, I was I was able to appreciate how uh, dated the show was from a, from a, the the visual aesthetic and some of the some of the, the storylines as well. Um, but there's not a whole lot about at least the TV series of TOS that has changed in my perceptions. Now, some of the movies over the years I've mellowed on, like uh, the motion picture. I used to hate it. And over the years, I've really come to appreciate it. And now I love it. I'll, I'll watch it every now and then, you know, with a judicious use of the fast forward button. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and, you know, some of the, some of the, like Star Trek three, I was not particularly charitable towards it when it came out. And over the years, I'm like, you know what? It's, yeah, it's, it's not the best one, but it's certainly not the worst. Um, there are some pleasant moments in it. Star Trek Five, that one. I'm never. <laughs> but uh, do you find yourself ever being an apologist for the original? I used to. Now I don't care. I, 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 you know, I used to get really bent out of shape when younger people would would dump on TOS. Uh, now I'm like, you know what? If you don't, you know, I, I can certainly appreciate and maybe this is something I've changed on because I I used to defend it vociferously and be like you know do you do you shit on your grandfather because he's not as cool as your dad uh was one of my uh, and but as I've gotten well, older, yeah but that's not why no. <laughs> <laughs> um and I guess maybe that's one area one area I have changed on TOS in that you know it it's my Star Trek I will always, I don't care what they do. You know, they have done shows that are technically and maybe, you know, acting and and writing far superior to TOS, but I will always love TOS. And there is a a ever diminishing number of people who I care whether they like it or not. And so if some 20 year old is like, oh, that show, I couldn't stand it. Like, well, you're lost. Sorry. Uh, so I think in the, in that's one area where I've changed on TOS is I've I've become less precious about it as far as what other people think about it. 
Sean, what about your perceptions of TOS? Like, how old were you when you first watched it? So, TOS was never really my Star Trek. Because I didn't start watching Star Trek until after Next Generation started. I would go back and watch... I remember TOS being on a lot when I was a kid. Um, I would watch it with my dad sometimes. But at that time, it was just... Oh, look, there's that pointy-ear guy, and they're in a spaceship. And, you know, and... I thought it was really cool when they would beam places and stuff like that. But, um, so, I mean, I'm a fan of Star Trek, the original series. I, I was, okay. I would say I appreciate the original series, but, uh, I don't, I don't have the sense of nostalgia when I watch it that I do when I watch, uh, the next generation, um, over the years, I think some of the behind the scenes stuff helps me to appreciate older stuff even more because when you learn some of the stories about the people that wrote it and the people that made it and the fact that the the thing that you love, the next generation, Deep Space Nine, Voyager, how that all originated and you can go back and you can see what, what the Klingons used to look like and you can see what the Romulans used to look like and and see how all these things that that you know from this other show, see how they originated, see like their origin stories and stuff like that. Um, I appreciate that. I did watch the movies. Um, I never saw. I don't think I saw any of the original series movies in the theater, but um, I remember going and and renting them at the video store after I started watching the Next Generation. Because I wanted to, you know, I wanted to see where the stuff had come from. And then I think Star Trek Two was the first one that I saw because it came on TV one night. And then um, when Spock died at the end of it, spoiler, I, I, I said, so he died? You know, I was watching it with my dad. And my dad is like, yeah, but he comes back in the next one. You know, <laughs> I was like, well, we had to go to the video store the next day and rent that one so I could see what happened, you know. And... Uh, so yeah, I, mean, I I wouldn't say I had the same sense of nostalgia for the original series as like Rick and Chris probably do, but I do have an appreciation for it, and I do enjoy most of it when I see it. But also growing up in the, I was I was born in the late seventies, but I would say I grew up in the late eighties and the nineties. Um, I can see some of the problematic stuff, but you know that's the same thing with. With any TV show that came on in the 60s, there's going to be, when you watch it later, there's problematic stuff that pops up, you know. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, I have I have a pretty good appreciation for the original series. Chris, Scott, what about you guys? How have your uh, perceptions of TOS changed, if at all? Um, like Rick, the original series was my jam. I didn't see it first run i was born after it was canceled but it was very formative for me uh watching reruns every night uh, on channel 11 here in new york it got me to think of broader worlds and to think of different things there's not a day or a week anyway that goes by where i don't think what would captain kirk do and whenever I'm like at work and I think I have to get this done or I have to do that. And I always think of like Kirk saying, I'm Captain Bones. That makes it my fault. And I think I might be 
paraphrasing there, but it, it instilled in me a sense of responsibility, a sense of accountability. And I feel like that's where it began for me. But as I got older and, you know, I was a, a just a voracious reader going through all of the TOS novels from the pocketbook series, like those were the first books that I ever bought with my own money. So I feel like I'm more invested in the in the TOS universe per se because of that expanded universe. Anyone that's heard me on the Prime Direction, Sean interviewing me, I've, I've said all this before on uh, the Infinite Potato Alliance airwaves. But it was those novels, I think, that really formed my Star Trek fandom and how I identify as a Star Trek fan. So much to my chagrin, I mean, going back on this last rewatch, I was like Rick when when Next Gen came out. I was like, it's not Kirk. It's not Spock. What are we doing here? Come on. Um, I did... Uh, chronological rewatch I tried to get through the original series for the first time all the way through in decades I could not watch an episode without falling asleep it was just it I'm not sure toss holds up to modern sensibilities I'll always have a like a really special place for it in my heart and those characters still inform who I am but when I go back to that source material I find that it doesn't speak to me the way it did when I was younger, but I still embody everything that it, it it tries to espouse. And again, I think it's because when I think of my Toss fandom, it's more the fiction stuff. It's more the expanded universe, the books. And that's what made me want to become a writer. That's what made me, you know, able to write a tie-in fiction book in my 20s and sell it because I knew the form. I knew I grew up on that stuff. So... Um, at the same time, I would say everybody should watch it. I mean, it, it is like a seminal work in science fiction, and it does lay the groundwork for a lot of amazing stuff that's to come. So you might not like the basement of your building. You might not like, you know, the foundation of your house. You got to crawl under the, in the crawl space sometimes, and you got to fix a leak or two. But it's what allows your entire house to stand up. So you need to at least be versed in it to some degree, in my opinion. And then if you can find joy in it, that's even better. I don't, I don't say that if you're like my nephew, who's like 20-something, they make fun of me all the time for liking Star Trek. I'm never going to say watch the original series. If he comes to it, that's fine. But make fun of me all you want because it's, it's a dated show. It's just, you know, it's, it, it, it speaks to you if it does. If it doesn't, there's like a million other Star Trek shows that might speak to you. So try those. I don't know. Chris, I both love and hate the crawl space analogy you just made. <laughs> but it's the truth because it is. I it's was, brilliant and I hate it. <laughs> but I was, I was as astounded at myself as you might be hearing me when I was trying to get through the original series and I could not get through a single episode past the first five or six in season one without falling asleep and watching it again. And it's just like, what? What's? And maybe I've seen them too many times, maybe I know what's coming, or maybe it's just not as compelling as I remember it. 
in any event, it's, it, it is what it is. So we're talking about changing perceptions of Trek over time. I remember being like at midnight on my little black and white TV in my bedroom, me and my brother watching Star Trek, and I'm thinking, but what of Lazarus? But what of Lazarus? And I was invested. I almost wrote a book about Lazarus because I was so invested in that awful episode. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, things shift, you know? You grow. Yeah. <laughs> so. Scott, what about you? Scott, you have to work the word voracious into what you say <laughs> because Chris and Rick both said it. I did? Yes. Oh, all right. <laughs> I, I would say that um, a lot of my opinions are somewhat similar to, to Sean's. Um, uh, considering uh, our ages and uh, the time in our lives that, that TNG showed up. But as for TOS... And you, you can hear uh, a more uh, expanded version of this story on my episode of The Prime Direction, available on InfinitePotato.com. Um, <clears throat> TOS was a popular show in the house. Um, Star Trek was... We, we weren't a gung-ho, um, you know, all-in Star Trek household, but we were a household of Star Trek fans. Well, most of us, I consciously and intentionally held a disdain for TOS because my brother liked Star Trek and TOS was all we had at the time. And I didn't like him. So I didn't <laughs> like Star Trek. Um, and yes, I say this knowing full well that my brother is a frequent panelist on this very show. <laughs> <laughs> so you mellowed on a few issues then as you age. <laughs> yes, yes. Um uh, it, he's he's heard my my uh episode of the prime direction. He he knows what's up. Um but even consciously not really caring for TOS, it was still around. It would be on the TV and you know the my my child mind would see that science fiction unraveling on screen and say or unfolding on the screen and say okay that's pretty cool and I also had the movies one through four uh, I know Star Trek four possibly Star Trek three I remember seeing in the theaters um, and you know, we would get those on like uh, uh, VHS tape them off a of television and whatnot um, so those would be played fairly frequently and I was getting more familiar with track with the TOS crew in the movies and I was softening on them so when TNG premiered in 87 and the whole family sat down to watch Encounter at Farpoint as it premiered I had softened up enough to to, to let myself enjoy it and from Encounter at Farpoint Bang. Okay, now I'm a Trekkie. But because TNG is what really brought me in, <clears throat> the, the the movies had opened me to Star Trek. TNG is what pulled me into Star Trek. And because of that, I have never really found myself feeling like I needed to go back and rewatch all of TOS. I'm pretty sure there are a few episodes of TOS that I've still never seen. I kind of envy you that. Blasphemy. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, just, there are still episodes of Next Gen I haven't seen. 
And so much of Voyager I haven't seen. So. Right. You're all such a disappointment to me. <laughs> <laughs> I I literally envy people who there are Star Trek episodes that they haven't seen because because they get to experience it for the yeah. first time. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. yeah. Everyone always has um, uh, undiscovered Trek that uh, that they haven't seen. I got a text message from my father yesterday. Have you watched this Star Trek series? Star Trek continues. <laughs> hey, Dad found some new Trek to watch, and this is the guy who who quit Star Trek Picard, I think, in the first season. Because it is either that and or Discovery. No, it was I think Picard. He didn't watch it because he felt that the new series was taking a more grim and gritty, you know, like violent, darker tone. He didn't much care for that. Discovery, he just said, it's too weird. It's too weird. That's just, a valid... I, I mean, that's that's I a valid uh, argument. The, 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 the one argument of New Trek that I don't take for granted is when people say that the especially the first season of Picard is too violent. Because I mean, for me, it wasn't too violent, but I'm desensitized and I'm a heartless bastard. But yeah, we're, um, we're, we're in our mid 40s. We're, we're Gen X. Yeah. Gen X don't give a shit. I mean, I grew up watching Tarantino movies, so you know. <laughs> uh, but the uh, but yeah, for when people tell me no, that's too violent. Yeah, I mean, I, I can see that, especially I mean with the Ichab eyeball scene and all that kind of stuff. Uh, yeah, okay. Yeah, it, it, it's Fair always enough. subjective, and I I, I yeah. can never begrudge someone feeling that way. I just I cross my fingers and I hope that um, when when my dad describes discovery as too weird, I just really hope he's not referring to like Stamets and Culver or to <laughs> Adira Tall. I just I I don't think that's what he's talking about, but I I, I really well, hope I don't that think I'm he, right. It, <laughs> did he get as far as Adira and, and Tall? I think he might have gotten into season two. Because I'm pretty sure I was able to say, you remember Pike and the Enterprise from season two? He's like, yeah. I said, well, then you should check out this other series instead. I, I want to just put a pin in one thing you said, Scott, where you, at that young age, decided that you had softened enough towards it to be able to enjoy it. I feel like that might come into play again later in this conversation. But we have a host who's asking all of us about TOS. Yet we don't know, Neek, what is your experience with the original series and does it in any way inform your Star Trek fandom? Because even though we old, I feel like you one of the youngest on the panel and one I, of the latest. I, I am not the youngest person on this panel. I said one of them. <laughs> I think Scott um, is the baby of the bunch here. I think, in fact, I am the youngest person on this panel. And working around so many 20-somethings all day, it's weird to be the youngest person in the room. Mm, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, like all us Gen Xers, my truck is TNG. Um, and at a certain... I don't remember at what point in TNG, but I made a conscious decision that I should watch TOS. And so I got, like... VHS tapes from friend of a friend and tried to watch it. And of course I'd seen a little bit here and there and didn't like it, but I was like, no, it, you know, if I'm going to be a fan, I've, I've got to go to the original because I'm an obsessive person and I'm a completionist. 
So I made the effort, guys. <laughs> but I think at that age, when I was, I was probably, you know, around 1920 when I made that effort, and I was just too sensitive to sexism to get through it. It was fair. just, That's it fair. was painful for me. And it was also a little bit boring. And I don't know exactly how far I made it, but I do know that I, at a certain point, abandoned the project. And I was like, I just can't do this. And I just stopped. stopped. And so my first watch through of the entire series of Toss was recently when I did my recaps for superanemic.com. Go read my comic recaps now. I <laughs> Right now, move. <laughs> And Pause what, this. <laughs> <laughs> mind you, I, I, in that time, I had seen all the movies. And I think I had seen some of the Toss movies even before TNG aired. Because I remember being very excited when TNG came along. And having an awareness of what Star Trek was. So I, I had to have some sort of familiarity. I think the first Star Trek thing I was ever exposed to was Wrath of Khan. Um, Not a bad start. Yeah. It had a profound effect on me, the, the earwig thing, that, that was cool. <laughs> um, so yeah, so it was when I was doing my recaps, and you know, because of the, the process of doing the recaps, I do a lot of research, and I watch them with a very critical eye. I don't watch them casually. I analyze them. I think because of that, you know, my second watch through, I really enjoyed it, and I was surprised by how much I enjoyed it. And because I went in knowing that it was going to be sexist and it was going to be dated and it might be problematic, I just went in saying, it's okay and we'll just, you know, look past that. We'll take it for what it is. We'll take it for what it's trying to say. And so I really enjoyed it. Now, of course, there are some episodes that are more offensive than others and there are some that are more entertaining than others. But... I didn't dislike any of the episodes, I don't think. Like, even some that are, are known to be disliked, like Spock's brain, I was like, no, this is hilarious. This is fun. Like, I, none of them bothered me. So now I have a really soft spot for TOS, I think. And the other thing about it, of course, is that my first watch through when I was young, I hated Kirk because he was such a... In my view, in my 19-year-old view, he was a slime ball. But re-watching it in my 40s, I was like, this guy's pretty cool. I'm like, huh. yes, he is still um, a f boy, but, <laughs> but he's also a good captain. And so I grew an appreciation for Kirk. Yeah, I feel like that's where I come in with that. Like when when I think of Toss, and I was telling like how it like formative when it comes to just accountability and owning your decisions. I feel like a lot of that comes back to Shatner's portrayal of Kirk. There were things that he was able to just convey in a look to Spock that spoke volumes. And as a young man, like it imprinted itself upon me that this is how you should conduct yourself because even though he was a slime ball and there was always that trope of the woman of the week or whatever, I feel like at center, the character had a good moral grounding and he always tried to do what was right. It might not be politically, uh, you know, acceptable now, but in the context of the show of the time, 
he was working within the parameters of what what was supposed to be how you conducted yourself. It's almost like we hate we hate Ed. We always like to shit on Ed, Moon fans, but it's like Ed at his best. If Ed never had to change and it was the 24th century, then I, I feel like Kirk sort of embodies that. And I just, as, oh, I disagree so much about that, but that's not. Yeah, but you, but you're going that. with the fourth season and not the first season. All right. So <laughs> think first season Ed. All right. But All right. anyway, anyway, <laughs> I, I just think that it's all there. The problems are there too, but it does have a solid foundation that you can point to and say, I believe in that. Okay, we've covered Toss. Let's move on to TNG. <laughs> so, uh, so similarly for me, my first watch through of TNG was real time. And the character I disliked the most, wait for it, was Riker. I did not like Riker. And I think the reason is because like, I was an 11 year old kid and I perceived Riker as, yeah, as being a f- boy. And at that age, like, I just, I, I couldn't get it. I, I you know, I, I didn't have a sense of sexuality yet. And so the, the, the sexy stuff just didn't resonate with me. And recently, for my recap, I rewatched A Matter of Perspective, which is the one where um, it's like the Rashomon TNG episode where you, you see different people's perspectives as Riker is uh, being accused of murder. And in that episode, um, he's accused of, of attempted rape. And it's a pretty solid accusation. And I, I think maybe that's one of the reasons as a kid, I was like, you know, this guy shouldn't be trusted. And this guy, of course, again, I'm gonna use the term boy for lack of a better word. Obviously as an 11 year old, that term didn't exist yet. What term would I have used? I don't know. <laughs> Uh, I was going to say Pig. player, but that's also too modern. I don't know. He was he was just not appealing. He was like a, in my mind, he was like, you know, an 80s movie villain, you know, like from Porky's or something. So I just, I just didn't like him. Whereas now, in my 40s, I'm all about Ranker. <laughs> you know, now that I've <laughs> matured, now when I rewatch it, Jonathan Frakes is one of my favorite parts of the show because you can see him winking at the camera. You can see him having a ball. He's enjoying himself so much and that I find that infectious. And so my perceptions of the other characters have changed a bit, but really it, Riker is, is the character on which I've done like a full turnaround. Has anyone else have their opinions changed about anything regarding TNG? Absolutely. Well, I think I had, oh, I go ahead. I had the same and I had forgotten about it until you just mentioned it. I didn't like Riker at first either. Uh, you know, I didn't like most of the sh- of the show, but Riker, I think, was the character I, that took me the longest to warm up to. And I think it probably was because I thought he was a parody of Kirk because, I mean, it was very clear that he was supposed to be the, the Lothario of the show. And over the years... I, I, I don't remember the exact wording of it, but somebody on uh, on Facebook, on one of the Facebook Star Trek groups I'm on, uh, said something along the lines of Riker's kink is consent. And <laughs> that is that is absolutely true. If you go back and watch 
watch TNG and you pay attention, you know, we we all think of Riker as Okay, I have a friend of mine who she called them and this was I think this was this was before New Trek. So she called them and folks, I'm not editing a lot of the language in this show, so just cope. She called them the five coxmen of Star Trek and it was Kirk, Riker, Bashir, Harris okay. and Tucker. <laughs> And, and, you know, we all thought that was funny at the time, but, you know, going back, Riker was like the absolute epitome of non-toxic mas- masculinity. And it took me a long time to, to, to grok that. And now he's one of my all-time, and like you, I love watching Frakes work. I love Riker so much. Uh, and I, I don't know what the hell was wrong with me at the beginning, what I, why I couldn't see past just sort of that veneer of, yeah. hey, look female ah. but you know that, that and i was also a kid at the time <laughs> yeah but but also you're looking at it now from the lens of 20 years of knowing these characters and accommodating who they are yeah. as opposed to just being exposed to them for the first time yeah. so there is a softening necessarily because the characters themselves have grown exponentially since encounter farpoint since uh riker was just the <laughs> boy of seasons one and two like that's the reason I didn't like TNG at first. I mean, other than it wasn't Kirk, Spock, McCoy, so why bother? But Riker to me was just a ripoff of Kirk. Data was just a ripoff of Spock. And then in second season, they got Pulaski because they needed to get a ripoff of Bones. So that I mean, Riker's middle initial was T. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. And I understand the characters were actually drawn from, you know, Decker and Aaliyah from Phase 2 slash TN, the TMP. TMP, yeah. Yeah, but at, at that time, I didn't know that. So I was just like, well, this is just a pastiche of everything that's come before. Why do I need to bother with it? Now I look at uh, TNG. I'm glad I'm watching it now for the first time because I'm actually in a position to appreciate it much more than I think I ever could have. Because even though I have not been, quote, a fan of these characters from the beginning, I know all of them. So I know where they are when I saw them in Generations and I fell in love with them, and where they began in Encounter at Farpoint. So for me, that's a nice juxtaposition to figure out how they went from that thing that I hated when I was 17 to something I can appreciate now because like Neek, I might die on this hill. The first two seasons of TNG were actually really pretty good. And Mm -hmm. I liked a lot of the episodes. I liked a lot of them. And I know people shit all over it. I don't know why. And maybe it's because of what TNG became, but those first two seasons are pretty freaking solid. All right, let me ask you a question. And Sean, I know you're, you're, I kind of cut you off and I apologize. Just really quick, just yes or no. If TNG season one aired today. If that was the beginning of a show on Netflix, would we still be talking about it 30 years later? I don't think you can compare. I mean, that's any show from 1987. I don't think you can compare it to something that would come out today. I mean, everything's everything's dated. 
Uh, season two, I will grant you, was a lot better than I I remembered. Season one, I think, was really rough. But well, I'm I mean, gonna, if, if season one of the, of the original series came out today, we wouldn't be talking about it 50 years later. Sean stole my question. I was going to no, extend. I, dis- <laughs> I, I disagree about that. I don't think that aside from season three, I don't, you know, and, and the first few episodes of season one, TOS didn't have that kind of progression. That wasn't that wasn't done back then. I don't think it's 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 apples and oranges. I think. I think you're wrong, Rick. I think the first season of TOS is the best season, and the first few episodes are the best episodes in the first season. I feel like TOS is the only show where, and I'm I'm stealing from Keith the candidate here, where the characters got progressively less familiar with one another as the show went on, and it became a little bit less engaging because it became more formulaic. If you look at those first seven or eight episodes when they're figuring out the uniforms and they're figuring out the relationships and the production and everything, it's a much more interesting show because the dynamics haven't been set in stone yet. And I feel like, at least with TNG, they started in that place, but it got better. With TOS, they started in that place and it just became formula. But that was TV at the time. Yeah. I don't know. Scott, your thoughts on TNG. <laughs> um, when TNG was first airing, um, I, we, we have to factor in uh, the fact that I was eight years old when it premiered. And as a family, we watched you know, every week. All seven seasons were there. And if we were going to be out of the house or away, we would record it and then we would watch it either later that night or the next day. And once it hit syndication, we started putting every episode on VHS until we had the entire series minus one episode in season seven. I can't remember the name of it, but uh, with Paul Sorvino as Worf's um, uh, human adopted brother, Nikolai. Mm Mm-hmm. We missed it first run, and we didn't get it on VHS, and it took me years to finally watch that episode. Other than that, we had them all, and we were watching it the whole time, but I was pretty young, so I wasn't exactly understanding everything that was happening in the episodes, but for young Scott, this was high adventure. This was cutting-edge science fiction. This was engaging. It was exciting, and the stuff that I did understand was fascinating to me i was enraptured by it and the stuff i didn't understand was still fun to watch because the characters were fun to watch and that's what kept me hooked in from the beginning um and it that's what kept me there for ds9 for voyager for the first couple seasons and then you know that's growing up into a teenager and you kind of you know, fall off certain trains. I, I had lost the rhythm of, of Star Trek. I still loved it, but I wasn't able to keep up with Voyager week to week. So I had to go back and watch that and enterprise, uh, at, uh, years later, but with TNG always loved it because it was exciting television for my young self. And as I grew older, while the excitement would, start to fade a bit partly from familiarity partly from getting older and and not being as easily excited by what used to be so cool 
that was replaced with the familiarity of the universe, of the characters. And while it maybe wasn't as exciting, I was understanding more of the episodes, you know, doing rewatches a couple years later and say, oh, I didn't understand what was happening then when I was younger, but I get it now. And that adds more layers to the stories that they were telling. And that's why I definitely agree with Chris in that seasons one and two, more solid than people give it credit for. When I was young, seasons one and two were boring. They were not as exciting and the storytelling was uh, seemed to me a little bit shakier. But as I got older and I would rewatch seasons one and two, I would notice what would happen more frequently in those seasons that happened less often as the series went on. And that is, and it didn't happen every week, but there would be several episodes in each season where the problem that the crew is facing, they all get together and they all sit down and they are hashing it out as a group. Now, yes, Worf would give his piece and everyone says, no, <laughs> that that's, that's just what happened. But everyone else, they would have, they would have input. They would have something to, something to offer in the conversation and it goes around and around and you see them working the problem and solving it. I think one of the best examples that always sticks in my mind is season two pen pals. And there's a scene in the captain's quarters where the entire senior staff is gathered around. I think he even put snacks out. I think Jordy might've been snacking on some stuff off to the side. And they're all discussing what's happening on this planet. The fact that data has been in contact. He's violated the prime directive and they have, do we save this planet? Do we save these people or not? And they really come at it from a lot of different angles, a lot of different perspectives. And by the end of the conversation, they have decided we're not going to help data cut off that communicator. We we're, we're leaving it be, we're going to let it go. And then there's that one bit at the end where he turns it on and they hear Sarjanka asking for help and everyone in, instantly changes their mind. I didn't appreciate that. I didn't get it when I was nine, 10 years old. As I got older, that scene made a whole lot more sense and it was a lot more engaging and a lot more interesting when I could actually appreciate what that scene was doing. And those first two seasons did that quite a lot. So it went from being overall TNG. It went from being exciting sci-fi that I didn't always understand to compelling stories that I did understand except for rascals. Shut up. I love rascals. (laughs) The episode was bro, I'm all in. Rascals is not the worst TNG episode. No, I didn't say it was the worst. I just said it was trash. And if here's I, the here's the thing: the, the, the story might be okay. <laughs> the story might be fine. What what really pulls me out of Rascals, and it always has, is that episode was exceptionally bad as far as guest actors, specifically the Ferengi. Okay, whatever the Ferengi. <laughs> okay, all right. We're not going to talk about Rascals, Sean. Have your opinions of TNG changed over the years? Somewhat. Now, okay, so I I loved 
the next generation. I don't think I really started watching it week to week until after season three. Um, I don't know why. Well, in 1987, I was 10. So I think it was, it was a couple of years after that before I started watching it. And then I went back and watched the, uh, the first couple of seasons later because they would show it like every night at nine o'clock in my, in my market. So, and I think they showed the, the encounter at Farpoint would show like as a afternoon, a Sunday afternoon movie sometimes, you know, so I, I caught that then. Um, and I had like the, I fell in love with the show. I went and bought like the encyclopedia. I got the Star Trek, the Star Trek communicator magazine when it was not, it wasn't even called Star Trek communicator yet. It was still called the Star Trek official fan club magazine or something like that. And, uh, over the years, I think some of the behind the scenes stuff that you hear about changes a little bit of what you remember. Uh, because when I look back on it now and I think about it, like, yeah, everybody on that show, they were all, there was no conflict among the main characters unless there was a alien possessing somebody, you know? So everybody was best friends unless somebody was possessed by something. Uh, and then you hear the stories of what Will Wheaton went through with uh, Rick Berman, and it kind of taints the uh, episodes, the Wesley episodes, a little bit for you. And then you hear uh, an interview with LeVar Burton where he's talking about the fact that he was the only human black character on the show, and he uh, he was also the only one that had like a really unhealthy relationship with women. You know, <laughs> so things like that, when you hear those things, those behind the scenes things that we didn't really have access to back then because we didn't have the Internet as it as it exists now. Um, and we didn't have podcasts where people were just talking about the stuff in depth and, and we were listening to it. We were just watching the show, you know, and uh, but you look back on it and, and it kind of uh, you kind of realize some things, some things. But the show still holds up for me. I, I I think I did my last rewatch a couple of years ago and the first, I mean, the first couple of seasons are about half and half for me. There's some of the episodes that I don't like at all. There's some of the episodes I think are great because, uh, um, measure of a man is a second season episode, you know, and that's one of the best episodes of TNG in my opinion, you know, uh, Q came from those from those two seasons uh, originally. I mean, from the first episode, you know, and and, and it lasted all the way through Voyager. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I, I I have the same love that I had for Star Trek as I did back then, but just finding out some of the behind the scenes stories kind of changes your perception of uh, of what you just saw on the surface level when you were younger, I think. Rick, did you want to add something about TNG? Um, yeah, there's, there's a couple of things that I, I just, I wanted to say real quick. I don't know if I can do real quick. I'll try to do real quick. Um, I did a rewatch of TNG uh, a few years back when, when uh, uh, mission log was going through it. Cause they were, they were talking about episodes and I was like, I barely remember that. And so I started watching so I could keep up with mission log rewatching. Um, and I found a couple of interesting things. One, I loved Pulaski. 
on my rewatch. I really, really did that character a disservice the first time I watched season two. Uh, because like a lot of people, I was like, oh, this is just a female McCoy and it's a carbon copy and stuff. And, you know, uh, and, and I did the same thing that a lot of people still do. She she shits on data and we're like, and we write her off. Yeah. But then like two episodes later, she's like, oh, all right. I was wrong. And then becomes an amazing character. Mm-hmm. I would have loved to have had Pulaski and Crusher because I'm, you know, I, I'm, I love Crusher. I, I always loved Crusher. And especially like Sean was saying, when I found out why she left the show, which was because Maurice Hurley was a huge douchebag um, that we discussed on the last episode. Uh, I, I we yeah, because we didn't have the Internet. We didn't know why. All we heard, all, all we knew at the time was Gates McFadden left Star Trek to go try to be in movies. And she was in Hunt for Red October for about five seconds. Um and then later we find out Maurice Hurley didn't like yeah, her. Denise Crosby is kind of the same story, but she didn't come back. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> not, you know, not, not, not as yeah. a regular. But I loved Pulaski on my on my rewatch. I, I really related to her and she was and she was great. I, I would have loved to have seen the character stick around. But the biggest thing that hit me about TNG on my on my rewatch was. The when I rewatched it, I was now a daddy. I had a little girl. I had a baby, my first baby, you know, in my entire life. You know, I'd been a stepdad for a while, but that's that's not kind of it's really not the same as having your own baby. I didn't, you know, I my my stepdaughter, I didn't meet her until she was 5. So I'd never raised an infant and gone through the whole thing. And having, you know, my it, it changed me. It changed me on a fundamental level. And so episodes like The Offspring which I, I don't remember disliking it, but I don't think it hit me as hard as it did, as it does now. Like your, your recap today, I was kidding. I, I was half joking. Like, you're going to make me cry, right? You know, it, you're, it's, it's a comedic still frame recap of the show, you know, making jokes and stuff. And I'm still crying at the end of the goddamn thing. I just yeah. think about it and I start crying. Um, Dark Page, which is widely considered to be a crappy episode, tore my heart out the last time I watched it, which was the second time I'd ever seen it. And I'm like, this episode is really freaking hard hitting. But you, I think you have to be a parent to really get past kind of the clunky writing of it, which was, you know, it was a seventh, seventh season show. And a lot of the seventh season TNG shows were not the best because uh, I think they, they they knew it was their last season and they were either doing stuff they were like, oh, hey, let's turn Deanna into a lungfish because why the hell not? <laughs> um, but Dark Page was a very powerful episode. That's the one with Loxana where she... Yeah, with the repressed, repressed memory her, of Deanna's yeah, dead her. sister. Okay. Which the first time through, I didn't even remember it. Spoiler alert it. for Chris, I guess. Yeah, I, I, I oh, honestly, shit, I'm it's sorry, the first Chris. time. Honestly, it's the first time I've ever even heard of this one. I look oh, forward God, to I'm so sorry, it. Chris. I'm sorry. It's okay. Sorry. It's it's a 40 year old show. I'll be all right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I just I just wanted to mention those are things that have changed in my perspective of of TNG over the years. It, it's it's an example of how. Uh, that life experiences and and life events will change your view of it. You 
you are talking about how um, uh, Dark Page hits it's you differently when you're a parent. And I, for, for me, uh, another Loxana episode, uh, Half a Life. Oh, when that, I that first one, saw yeah. it, it's like, okay, this sounds like a grown-up thing because it's like, oh, what? The romance story? Yeah, whatever. Boring. Really episode. But then as I as I started to get older and I became a very stereotypical, lonely, nerd young man who really wished that he could, like, be with someone to watch Half a Life. And I, I assuming that Chris hasn't gotten to this one either, I'm not going to give spoilers. That's the one with, with Winchester. Okay, fine. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah I've yeah. seen it. I've seen it. That yeah. Okay. Um, I, that one gets it, it got harder and harder to watch the lonelier and lonelier that i got as a younger person these it's it's a little bit easier now i will still if i rewatch that episode i will still get teary-eyed by the end of it but not because oh i'm so lonely <laughs> no it's because i appreciate uh the, the storytelling and how they do it and the performances so can i ask neek i know mm-hmm. that you're moderating but you, you spoke about but like, it's Chris's job to turn the tables on you and ask you all the questions. <laughs> well, the, the, the question is, I mean, we're talking about TNG. TNG was your first sort of real foray into Trek. Mm-hmm. And you talked about sort of how Riker has shifted for you. But as you've gotten older, are there other aspects or touchstones of TNG that have evolved or diminished for you? So another example would be Picard. Um, the other characters, I would say, I, I liked them all, and I still like them all. I really liked Worf when I was a kid, and as I've aged, I've, I've you know, it's a running gag in my recaps that he's a fuck up, right? And he is, he's a little too incompetent for a security officer, but that's another running gag in my recaps that all security officers in Star Trek are incompetent. Um, but so I like Worf less as I age, you know, and Rick, I'm I'm curious to know your opinion of of Worf as a parent, because, you know, when I was a kid, I, it didn't even dawn on me that he was a terrible dad, but now as an adult, I'm not a parent, but I can recognize what a horrible father he is. And that, that's bothersome. I, I really dislike that the show made that choice. He's the worst. He's the absolute yeah. worst. <laughs> but I was going to talk about my opinions on Picard. So when I was a kid, when I was a teenager, when I was in my 20s, love, love, love Picard. You know, I'm all about the two-year-old gray hot. And then I, I know I'm, try- I'm struggling to remember exactly what age I was. I guess it early 40s, late 30s, early 40s, I did a a watch through of TNG. And there were a few episodes where Picard is like chewing someone out. Like I think he, you know, he chews out Roe at some point and he chews out Worf at some point. And even though Worf is a fuck up, you know, in, in that scene, I was identifying with Worf because I was going through a tough time at work. Like it just so happened that in that watch through, I was going through an extremely difficult time at work where I was feeling very targeted. And so 
watching that scene, I was like really offended by the way Picard treated Worf. And I, and again, I think there was also Roe that he was like in my mind that he was mean to. And I was like, oh, you know, why did I always think Picard is such a great boss and such a, you know, a great leader? He's a jerk. And then I rewatched mm. TNG again, like two years later, and I'm like, oh no, no, I was right the first time. Picard knows what he's doing. Worf is the fuck up. Picard knows what he's talking about. Like it was literally just that that small time period where I was, you know, going through something really toxic in my workplace that I just could not handle. I couldn't handle an authority figure taking down an employee. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. That's kind of like when I when I was 16 years old, I thought Jellico was a jerk, but 46-year-old me is like, yeah, Deanna needs to put some damn clothes on. You know, Jellico is the bomb. I love Jellico. We could, that's that's a whole other podcast. We could do a yeah, whole really, show about Jellico. Entire episode. I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll, to back you up, Neek, mm-hmm. and I'm not going to go into details, uh, but when the when Wesley got in trouble at the at the Academy episode, mm. I was in a similar situation, mm. and boy, did that episode hit hard. And well, in later Rick, years, I mean, if you kill someone in a flying accident, you got to quit the academy. It was such a cool maneuver, though. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you step on the flower bed on Boner Planet, you've got to die. It's as simple as that. I mean, I mean, that's just cut and dry. I mean, hello. <laughs> but yeah, you're right. I think that's something, and and not to go off on too much of a tangent. I think that's something that television today has lost. Because we, we we talk about filler episodes and stuff like that. And yes, there, there, there are two sides to this coin. But I think having a 26-episode season, you get to explore the characters a lot more than you do with these, you know, mega million per episode, 10-episode seasons. They look great. They, you know, they look a whole lot better. They can, you know, the effects are fantastic. And, the, you know, the pacing and stuff. But I don't think you get the... the, the the ability to explore the people as much anymore. A hundred percent. Like DS9 could not not exist in today's TV environment because it just went in so many different weird places and explored so many different characters Mm -hmm. that you would not have just, you wouldn't have number one, the time it's what was it? 47. Now it's 41. And um, number two, you don't have the amount of episodes. Um, I know we'll talk about DS9, but there are scenes when I'm watching both TNG and DS9, and I'm thinking, how are they getting away with this? Because it's so clearly not related to the plot. It's pure character stuff. And it's the kind of stuff when I was watching TOS first run, and not first run, but first time in syndication, for me, first run, it's all the stuff that they cut out so they could put more commercials. So it was kind of a revelation the first time I saw TOS on cut. It was like, wow, these characters are a little bit more interesting. There's some interplay. Um, I look at, um, I, I, I jokingly said this when I was watching Data's Day for the first time in many, many years. Tell me a show today where you can have a five to seven minute tap dancing scene for no reason. For no reason. It, it, it just can't happen now. So it's, you know, we, we kind of get to the point where we kind of, Allison says this on our podcast. 
she likes the little episodes, the ones that aren't about epic things, because that's where you get to know the characters. Oh my God, agreed 100%. TNG was able to do that, and DS9 as well, because they had such long seasons, they needed that pillar filler, as they call it. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. it, it was always in service of getting to know the cast and the characters better, where they just don't have the luxury of doing that any longer. So not on yeah, not on streaming. Mm -hmm. I mean, there are some network shows that are still doing like 20, 22, 23 episodes a season, like Grey's Anatomy comes to mind and stuff, because they've got fifty people in that cast and they have to <laughs> you know, they have to flesh a lot of those characters out and stuff. But yeah, when you get into the streaming shows and stuff like that, yeah, eight, ten episodes, that's about all you get. But even network shows like the new Quantum, they get they got eighteen episodes the first season, they got thirteen this season. I don't know if they're going to get a third. I kind of have my doubts, but you know that's a whole other show. Um, but the show <laughs> literally so a whole other show. Yeah. <laughs> the shows are so fast paced that when you get character work, you're happy that they can squeeze it in in the thirty five seconds they have for that this episode. Yeah. And, and there's like, I was watching a scene on DS9 where Kira and Odo are talking about Odo's new quarters. I think it goes on for five minutes and it's wonderful. And it's just them, you know, dicking around about how he likes his new quarters on a space station where every single room is the same. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there, an, another, another DS9 scene. Uh, and I always forget which episode, but it, I love this scene. Uh, it's Bashir. O'Brien and Dax are sitting at a table in the mess hall on Defiant. And um, O'Brien tells Bashir, you don't want to sit in that chair. He says, no, uh, Jadzia says, you don't want to sit in that chair. Bashir says, why? Did Miles spill something again? He said, no, that's Worf's chair. And they're waiting to see what happens when Worf comes in and sees that someone's sitting in his chair. And he comes in and he orders prune juice. And he stares down Bashir, and Bashir gets up, moves over, and they switch seats. And it's a wonderful little character scene that doesn't inform the plot. But it's wonderful interplay between the characters. And we wouldn't have gotten that scene if they hadn't put in a little bit of character filler in the beginning of yesterday's Enterprise, introducing Worf to Prune Juice. Mm -hmm. Because then that leads into him ordering Prune Juice in the mess hall. And... the. The, that scene in Yesterday's Enterprise where Worf becomes a fan of prune juice mm -hmm. is one of the greatest examples of those little character building moments. And that that carried on through to the end of DS9 because that was always a character point with Worf. Anytime he would go in and have something to drink, he's always going to have prune juice. Mm -hmm. And and then Which of is course, also why he's always so what, angry what because else of the said. lack of bathrooms on the Enterprise. <laughs> <laughs> if you look at the at the blueprints, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> the bridge has two of them, but one of them is just for the cat. All right, so DS Nine. So how have your uh, opinions changed, if they have? Because like, I guess we were all a little bit older when we got to DS Nine and to Voyager. They were. At, at one point, they were running concurrently, so I'll just group them together. I assume you've all done rewatches. Oh, yeah, yes. I think my I think my rewatch of uh, I think my rewatch of Deep Space Nine 
made me appreciate the show even more because when I saw the show originally, I was at an age where uh, I had a job. So I think Deep Space Nine in my market, the new episodes came on Saturdays at like 6 p.m. And I was not always at home. I was, you know, I had to work sometimes. And um, I didn't get to see every episode when they came on. So I I would miss pieces. And that was the first show that I can recall that really had serialized storylines, especially uh, later in the, like, from maybe season three, season four on. Uh, if you missed several episodes, then... I mean, yeah, you're going to miss some of the filler stuff and the filler, you can miss some of the filler stuff and still keep up, but you're also going to miss some of the core episodes that, that, that go into the over the overarching plot. And, um, and so when I rewatched it a few years ago and I was able to just binge it, um, I think I appreciated it more because I was able to keep up with the story and like really see where all these pieces fell that I might have missed uh, the first time that I saw it 30 some odd years ago. So, My opinions on DS9 have changed a lot after a rewatch. Um, I was, I mean, I didn't dislike it the first time through. And uh, I, I may have mentioned like Wednesday nights were, we would all gather at our friend Kim and Todd's house. Cause they had huge, the, the big, you remember those big, rear projection TVs that came out just before the the real HD TVs kind of, but you couldn't things. see if you were looking at it from an angle. Yeah. <laughs> but they, they, they had one of those. And so we would all gather at Kim and Todd's house on Wednesday nights to watch Star Trek. And so it was DS nine. And then eventually it was DS nine. We'd also watch La Femme Nikita, which was fantastic, but seriously disturbing show. Anyway, um, I, 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 I won't say I didn't like DS9, but it wasn't my favorite show. And then, again, with with keeping up with Mission Log, uh, you know, I couldn't rem- I hadn't done a, a DS9 rewatch in a long time. So I, I watched it all the way through. I had totally forgotten that Duet was a first season episode in DS9. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Duet, again, is one of the best episodes of Star Trek ever. Remind me which one is Duet? That's the one where the Cardassian shows up on the on on the station pretending to be this uh, this uh, great war criminal, and he's had he's had plastic surgery done to make him look like the the the, the butcher of Galatep, Gul but instead he was Darheel's secretary. But he was he he felt he he was too weak to do anything to stop the the, the mass murders at this this prison camp, uh, and he tries to. By by impersonating this dead war criminal, he hopes to to bring some sort of uh, uh, retribution that he feels his people deserve. And when he's found out, you know, Kira is like all through it. She's like, you know, you you need to die, you you murdering bastard. And then she finds out who he really is, and she realizes that she was so blinded by her hatred that she didn't want to see the truth, and she she's as she's escorting him and like we're letting you go and he's like no i need you know it, it, it's an incredibly powerful episode and it was a season one episode of ds9 i thought it was you know had to be three or four because it was so good but it was a you know so incredible some great acting and as i watched the show 
there were aspects of it, and I've I've talked about this before. I think DS9 is where Star Trek made that turn from allegory to realism. Which I'm I'm not saying that was a good or bad thing. It's just it's just, you know, this the, the first two Star Trek series were heavily allegorical. At least the first half of TNG. One after Roddenberry died, it it's that's where it sort of began. Uh, but DS9 was really where they went, well, this is what would really happen. I, I, I honestly don't know if I think that was a good thing or a bad thing. I, well, I, but, it depends on the day you talk to me. But, but we're talking about your changing views of Trek over time. Yeah. And, 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 and I feel and, like and DS9 is, kind of embodies that, doesn't it? Well, yeah, because I, when, I, when I rewatched it when I was older, and I think, I, I think this rewatch was, you know, what, five or six years ago, something like that. Um, I, I really appreciated, you know, the, the, of course, every season, every series has, you know, good episodes and bad episodes, but damn DS9 in the, in it just got really good. I always used to kind of say like, you know, I didn't like the Dominion War aspect of it, but Jesus didn't, they, they, they really took it in some very interesting directions, you know, in the pale moonlight. I don't know if I'd put it in my, like my my top five Star Trek episodes, but certainly in the top ten. And uh, Nog's storyline was incredible. Jake's storyline was incredible. Uh, and I just I don't know that I appreciated DS Nine as much the first time through as I did uh, on on a subsequent rewatch rewatch when I had some years under my belt. Can I try? Yeah. You, you first. No, go, Chris. I feel like DS Nine is what got me into modern trek for then modern trek um that and believe it or not the much maligned and i don't know why generations i saw generations and i loved it i it's maybe because kirk was in it i don't know but when i saw that movie i was all of a sudden on board with the tng crew in a way that i never had been before and I think at that point, DS9 had been on for a couple of years. The only you know, exposure I had to DS9 at that point was seeing one episode in a hotel room once. I was staying somewhere for work at a convention. And uh, I just put on the TV and there was an episode, Odo, Rene Bergenois was in it. So I think it was either Odo and, it probably was Odo and Quark on a shuttle. And I was like, what is this? Oh, this is what they're calling Star Trek these days. I don't care about it. But then I saw Generations, <laughs> and um, I, I loved it so much. I don't know why it just spoke to me. I just I thought it was great. So I started watching DS9, which had probably maybe been season two, season three. But I was late to DS9. I didn't see the first two seasons, at least, for years after I saw the entire show. Because they weren't rerunning them, and you couldn't get anything on demand at that point. And... Once I got into DS9, forget about it. Like Saturday at 6 or 7, everybody knew, don't talk to me, don't bother me, don't... DS9 is on, I gotta watch it. So it got me back into that era of Trek in a mega way. And I love everything, just about everything about it. Um, to me, like one of the, you know low points of the series is the fact that they feel like they had to bring Worf on and you know after next show was over and bring Michael Dorn but even the Worf stuff that they did turned out to be pretty good so I 
I can't speak highly enough of DS9, and it is so diametrically different from the Trek that came before, like you said, Rick, allegory versus what would it really be like. And I think that's what spoke to me about DS9. It, it kind of shook off some of the conventions of TNG and said, but what if what if all of that idealism came up against a harsh galaxy that doesn't care? And we're talking about the Cardassians. We're talking about war criminals. We're talking about the founders who don't care about e- genocide. You know? It, so it's just like, what do you do in the face of that? And how do you maintain those ideals? And how do they become a little bit grayer? And that to me was so fascinating. And then when I, I tried to watch Voyager, it just seemed like more of the same TNG rehash kind of show so I didn't I didn't like it at all um, because it wasn't asking bigger questions it wasn't asking more thorny questions it just seemed to be relying on the more stock TNG feeling of things which I understand at that point had a big fan base and they wanted to tap into that and DS9 was the you know like the, the, the stepchild DS9 was, was ignored, so they yeah. were able to do what they wanted. and that, that That's was, what they say. I mean, that could be revisionist, too. But but what I'm saying is, like, DS9 spoke to me in a way that nothing to that point had. So, I, to me, DS9 is why I'm still talking about Star Trek with all of you right now. Because otherwise, I think I might have fallen off completely, especially with Voyager. I never would have watched Enterprise. Even with Scott in it, I never would have watched Enterprise had I not seen DS9 to the end and wanted to be invested in things Trek still. I think that also um, the age that you are when you watch stuff uh, informs your, your your thoughts on it going forward because uh, Chris and Rick are a little bit older than I am and when I, when I think back to when Worf came on the show, I was excited about it, but I didn't realize that it was like when they put Munch on SVU. I don't know if anybody knows what that means. <laughs> uh, it's it was a it's a ratings gimmick. It was cousin Oliver, you know. Uh, and and <laughs> that's I, I didn't a reference see, I get. <laughs> yeah, I didn't see that. I didn't see that at the time. I was just excited because I love the next generation. And, oh, they're putting Worf on this show. But I was pissed. <laughs> at, but after that, I think some of the best. Worf episodes of Star Trek or Deep Space Nine episodes. Right. That's, I think he. The, I think the, he got there's to do. No argument. He got to do so much more on Deep Space Nine than he was ever allowed to do on the Next Generation. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so yeah, I think that I think that the the age that you're watching it when it when it starts kind of kind of informs your opinion going forward a little bit. Yeah, uh, DS Nine is one of those shows where. I acknowledge how good it is. Like, I know it's a well-written show, but I never connected to it the way I did with TNG or Voyager. And, I mean, listen, we're grading on a Trek curve, so I I love it at, like, 98% instead of 100%, you know, so I still love it. (laughs) But I just... I didn't... Yeah, I just couldn't get all the way there and that's something i've contemplated over the years for decades now trying to figure out exactly why that was 
And the biggest reason is just that there were no female characters on it. And for me, that's like, that's, uh, that's a no go. Like the, the male to female ratio is so abysmal. There's only two female characters and one of them is written as a man. And I'll let you guess which one. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, when I was in my 20s, I couldn't connect to Kira because like, I didn't quite get it. And, and now that I'm older, my rewatches, now I get it. I get her anger. I get where she's coming from. And Nana Visitor is brilliant. And so I, I do like Kira now. And I never disliked her, but I, like I say, I couldn't quite connect to her. And Jadzia Dax, I could never connect to her. And, you know, it might be just the simple reason that, like, she was so complicit and dismissive of sexual harassment against women that I just couldn't. And that remains to this day. Yeah, I'm like I'm like the only person in the world who was so glad when Jadzia was replaced with Ezri. I love Ezri, cool. and so yeah, and like I loved any episode where Keiko appeared, any episode with Kai Wen, because like finally a female character. There are so many characters on DS9 that are brilliant, like Weiyun and Geldicat, but they're all men, and that's fine. But as a woman viewer, like, it's just not enough for me. Ooh, and so I just, yeah. I, I just could never get 100% with DS9. And, and so that's actually an example of something where my opinion has not changed. And in a sense, I've, I've, I've solidified that opinion as I've gotten older. Whereas with Voyager, I was like, I was 100% right off the bat. I was, I... Again, when I was in my twenties, I couldn't, I couldn't connect that well with um, Janeway. But now in my forties, now that I'm older than the character, I'm like a hundred percent there. <laughs> I love Janeway, and I always liked Cass, always liked Belana, and Seven of Nine is my ride or die. When she came on the show, I mean, forget about it. Like. That would you, we would need an entire episode of this podcast for me to discuss seven of nine. And but I, I, I like think we should. Do that. I think we should. <laughs> oh, Nick, you're you're storing up so many thoughts, but please finish finish yours. Well, no, go ahead, respond. Well, see, my response is like you're talking about Voyager, how it spoke to you, and I feel like, um, and I've said this before, watching DS Nine gave me the sense that I had when I was reading all of the um, pocketbook Star Trek novels that expanded the Star Trek universe for me as a young man to a point where I wanted to live in that place beyond the original series. It was just the entire world with all the minutiae and everything I loved about it. And I felt like when I was watching DS9, it was the first series that acknowledged all of that history. And it was almost like a successor to TOS in a lot of ways. I thought that Kira was the spiritual successor to Kirk. I, I, I time Nana is on screen on DS9, I love it because I just love her character. And I feel like DS9 didn't 
adhere to the Roddenberry rule that we're not going to refer to what came before. It's going to be its own its own thing. We have to fight to say the word Spock. We have to, you know, we're not going to have Vulcan. DS9 said, no, it, it's all of that. It's everything. We're part of this this TNG milieu, and we're, we're all in it. You know, Cisco hates Picard. That's awesome right there. And then, mm-hmm. you know, then so many different callbacks to TOS that weren't just fan service, but kind of broadened and enriched the universe. It's like we're all living in this bigger, expanded universe. And that's what DS9 did for me. It was just like... It's it's a Trek world that is now lived in. And maybe that's where Rick, you say, goes from sort of that allegory to the reality. Mm-hmm. It's it's it, it acknowledges everything that came before in different subtle ways and expands on it or comments on it. And it could be as you know, as silly as like an an alien that might have been in one episode of TOS is mentioned to, you know, all of the three principal Klingons from TOS coming back with their forehead mm-hmm. ridges, you know? And so it, I just feel like it embraced the fandom as much as it embraced the idealism. And it was all there for me. And then when I watched Voyager, it just seemed to be like, it just wants to try to be TNG. And to me, that wasn't as interesting at the time. And Berman Which even is, said that at the time yeah. when they were in the in the lead up to Voyagers, like we're going back to to the, the the ideals of Star Trek. And I mean, I I love Voyager. I I love the characters of Voyager. I don't think Voyager ever lived up to the promise it could have. And I I will I, grant you, I have not done a rewatch I, of Voyager. I agree with that though. That's the thing. I love Voyager, but it did not live up to its potential. Yeah, I would have loved it if they had just abandoned the Gilligan's Island aspect of every time they find a way they're going to get home, you know it's not going to work. And just went, all right, we're stuck here. Let's explore the Delta Quadrant. And that would be the show. But just to defend that aspect of it, I think it was necessary for them to to constantly have that hope of somehow getting home, especially because it was really necessary for the show to always pile on Harry Kim and make him feel like shit. And that's yeah. what those episodes did. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, DS9 is possibly you know, of, of the five Trek series of old before we got to our current Trek renaissance. Probably the, the series where my opinion of it has changed the least and any change that I've had in my opinion of DS9 has only been for the better. I've only grown to like it more since it came out. Now the second half of the series um, was a little spotty for me as far as uh, watching it while it was airing for the same reason that I fell off the, the Voyager train because there are two Trek series running at the same time. I could, I was not able to keep up with one and I completely failed at keeping up with the other. So there was a lot of DS nine that I missed the first time around, but I still saw enough to really get absolutely sucked into the, the storytelling and the, the different kinds of stories and episodes that they were 
uh, that they were diving into. Uh, I was excited when it was announced that Worf was going to appear at the beginning of season four. Oh, cool. It's going to be a two part episode and we're, we're at war with the Klingons again. And oh, wow, this is going to be great. And then it, it became immediately clear. No, he's here for good. He's joining the cast. And I was excited. I said, this is going to add an interesting new dynamic and not just because Oh, it's something from TNG. It's something that I remember. So that means it's good. No, I, while understanding that Worf was maybe not the the best or most dynamic character on TNG, his character did offer, before even seeing any of the episodes, it, it offered a whole lot of uh, interesting storytelling avenues. Uh, uh, interesting interactions that he could have with the pre-existing cast members on DS9, now, which is exactly what they did. I wasn't expecting him to, you know, marry one of them. <laughs> but, hey, they, they, they did that too, and you know, more power to them. They're, they're trying new things. Um, the Dominion War storyline, I loved it because it was more serious some might say more hard hitting storytelling. It was, it was an actual war. It was, it was gritty. It was dangerous. Uh, it had stakes. It had death. And we didn't see that as much, nearly as much in TNG. So all of these different elements that DS9 was able to introduce because they were, they were trying new things that they, that they never tried to do in, in TNG. I always thought it was so compelling. Um, restarting the conflict with the Klingons, the introduction of the, of the dominion, uh, even Cardassians, you know, uh, as a whole, the things that they did, the, they starting with the, the fall of the, uh, Cardassian military, and the rise of the civilian government and then their turn towards the dominion and then you get into the the final uh 10 part uh finale with the fall of cardassia and they even got you to actually care about well some cardassians by the end of it they were taking big swings and i loved it the whole time and i've only grown to appreciate the series more as time goes on. Um, I even had one of those um, life event experiences on w w with DS9. After uh, getting married a second time and becoming a stepdad, I was I was a stepdad my first marriage, but it was, it was just a, a wee little tiny child that I did not have much of a hand in 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 the parenting but in my second marriage um i became a stepdad to uh at that time an eight-year-old and when i got to the visitor which is se season four early season four i think of ds9 um so that that story centering around jake and cisco I saw it a whole lot differently when I was a parental figure. Uh, 
you know, helping to, to look after and raise a child that I, that I truly loved and seeing that episode became a lot harder after that. So yeah, as a, as a, as a dad, uh, going back and watching deep space nine, you see, um, the way that Cisco shows affection for his son is something that you didn't see a lot in TV back then. Mm-hmm. You didn't see men hugging uh, their 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 almost grown sons and even giving them a kiss. Sometimes you didn't. I mean, you didn't see that much back then. And, and that was uh, something Avery Brooks insisted on before he even took the role. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think it's important that people see that. I mean, because. I won't say that I grew up in one of those masculine households where my dad never hugged me, but my, my, because my dad did hug me. I'm like, but I knew a lot of people whose dads were just like, no, we don't hug. I don't, we don't, we don't hug. You know, we don't say I love you. That's sissy stuff. You know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I you know I grew up in a, in a household, and still we have a lot of just casual affection for one another, and I identified with that when I saw it on DS9. It was yet another thing that made that series speak to me a little bit because there was much more uh, much more human aspect to it as opposed to just the on the starship with the regulations and data's day and it it got into different areas that we didn't traditionally see in star trek up to that point and it was kind of refreshing yeah well you know my my dad died when i was 14 so the visitor just fucking wrecked me <laughs> Yeah, the visitor. It's a great. Is, it's a great episode. I'm great. not saying that in a bad way at all. It was just. Yeah, it's not just a. It's not just a good Star Trek episode. I mean, it's just a good science fiction episode. Yeah. And you know, it informed a lot of uh, because I, I used well. I I still try to write sometimes, but I used to write a lot of science fiction stories, and it informed a lot of my writing. After that, I wrote some stories that were kind of inspired from that. That's awesome. I wonder if we should do a pod at some point about the episodes of Trek that deeply affected us Absolutely. in our lives. I mean, it was your idea for changing views of Trek, and obviously it's going to be a six-hour pod, so. <laughs> <laughs> you have right, instincts, so, Nick, is what I'm saying. <laughs> so should, we, should we wrap it up then for tonight and perhaps yes. have a, a part two to continue talking about Voyager and Enterprise and all the new shows? Yep. Okay, then we will wrap it up. So we'll go around the table and let everyone plug and promote. Rick, what have you got for us? I'm on a lot of the shows here on the network, so just uh, check them out. And Sean? Uh, this and uh, Cosmic Potato, the Super Fan Talk podcast. I'm planning to do. I'm planning to do a time travel retrospective sometime soon, um, and it's gonna it's, it's gonna be one of those extended things where we kind of come back and forth to it and stuff because there's so much time travel out there in science fiction that, uh, that we can talk about. And I also started a new podcast that you can find on the network called uh, vintage vibes where I'm kind of displaying some of my favorite old time radio shows. And so you can check that out. And Genesis is not a bad TNG episode. So there. <laughs> <laughs> and Chris, what have you got for us? I am a host of the Quantum Leap podcast, and we are wrapping up the end of season two of Quantum Leap. You can get us at quantumleappodcast.com. And Scott, what about you? 
I can be found in various places here on the network, including, as usually, the host of this show. But hey, I'm glad to turn the the wheel over to someone like me. She's absolutely killing it. Also, uh, a frequent panelist on Cosmic Potato, on Moonshow. 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 What's your head cannon? Uh, and sometimes on Captain Game Show. If you are tired of listening to me talk and talk and talk on a podcast, then you can feel free to visit my website at www.planetrisecreative.com and see some of the graphic artwork that I do for fun and profit. And as for me, even though For All Mankind is on hiatus right now, I am the host of Moon Show. Moon Show. And if you like track, which you obviously do because you've listened to all this garbage... You should go to superanemic.com and read my comic Star Trek recaps. And with that, we say... Bye, Bob. Bye, Bob. Bye, Bob. <laughs> Bye, Bob. <laughs> <laughs>